This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is Walter Koenig, Chekhov from Star Trek, and you're listening to Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast that covers the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I am Zach Moore, and with me today is the host of Continuing Mission, Mr. Tony Robinson. What's up, Tony? Hey, Zach. Fantastic. You're in Texas. I'm in London. So That's greetings. Correct. <laughs> it's almost like we're uh, recording on subspace frequency from different parts of the universe here. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Tony, this isn't your first time on Standard Orbit. You were back in uh, episode 157. There are no Star Destroyers in the Smithsonian. We were talking about the uh, the refit uh, Enterprise model, right? Yeah, that, gosh, that seems like quite a while ago, actually. I, I, I remember the, the number um, for Standard Orbit, but I don't remember the date. Do you know the date? Uh, you know, it's uh, it's a tall order, as Ken will tell you. It's a tall order for me to, to, to find this stuff out and remember it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> so, but yeah, well, that was the a great fact episode. You got a, you got a number and a title for me is as much as you're going to get. I can't okay, give you exact well, dates, my friend. But... Anyway, yeah, yeah, there are no star destroyers in the Smithsonian, and what a great reference that is because the Enterprise is in the Smithsonian. Star Trek's represented very well in the Smithsonian, but boo sucks to the Star Wars fans. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, the reason we have you on today, Tony, is uh, Star Trek Continues, the fan series, just wrapped up just a couple weeks ago, went public mm-hmm. with its uh, its final episode, bridging the gap between the end of the original series and movie era, and it did so in quite a fantastic way, and, you know, this is a perfect time for us to kind of look back and talk about Star Trek Continues as a whole, um, you know, us being the original series podcast and you being the fan production podcast we figured we'd you know combine have a little crossover here talk about uh just the series you know from start to finish some of the, the stronger points and our impressions and uh, how we found it that kind of thing because uh, just uh, truth be told i love this show i i am i'm a big fan of star trek continues uh we've referenced it on and off in, in conversation here and there when it's come up uh, over the over the past few years because it launched in 2013 uh, and now it's a, almost its own five-year mission from start to finish, right? Yeah. And uh, th- there had been several other fan series before it and concurrently with it, but but I will say just across the board, Star Trek continues is head and shoulders above the rest in production value and storytelling and acting and just attention to detail. It was just incredible. And it's like if you sit down and watch this show and kind of like squint your eyes, you, you, you'd think you were watching a, a lost episode. 
of the original series. So it's, it's just an incredible achievement and something that, uh, that everybody over there, especially Vic Mignaga, who is the uh, if there a, a one-man show, if there ever was one over there. I mean, he, of course, starred as Captain Kirk. He spearheaded the show. He produced the show, financed a lot of the show, uh, directed some of the episodes, composed some of the music. I mean, he was doing everything over there. Uh, and, and But there was a huge, and, and let's not to, not to just focus on him, there was a huge uh, cast and, and crew of, of fans and friends and and uh, Kickstarter campaigns and whatnot that, that got that thing going. But uh, he was definitely the spearheaded of it all, the, the true captain of, <laughs> of Starship Continues. So I'll, I'll credit to him for getting that thing launched. And, and, and uh, they had an 11-episode one or 11 episode run, and what an amazing run it was. Absolutely. I mean, it was an audacious um, experiment from the outset to think that you could uh, replicate the 60s style uh, Star Trek and do it really well. And boy, but they pulled it off. I mean, when you watch any of those shows, and and goodness knows how many people have actually watched them, but when you watch them, you you just feel your your back as if it never left the screen. They did a, um, an amazing job with editing, with lighting, and and the sets were magnificent. I know they were adding to the sets as they went by, you know, as the years rolled by. But um, but again, you know, you couldn't really spot any faults to any great degree and uh, you know i'm it, it's over now but i'm kind of sad it's over because it didn't it should have like star trek continues should continue that's that's my <laughs> opinion so one of the most impressive things about star trek continues was just just them truly capturing as, as we both been saying here the the essence of, of 60 star trek and i think in the in the production design and in the in the stories it chose to tell i think a mistake of a lot of other fan shows was one not really replicating 60s television just like even that there's so much attention is paid just just to the to the aspect ratio with star trek continues it's four by three right yeah and that's that's an obsolete aspect ratio but that's what it would have been if the show was in 1969 1970 1971 and so they do that and that automatically gets you more in the like oh this is tos this looks familiar to me and then also the lighting as well using certain lenses they did a lot of research about like what what was used where to really replicate the feel, the true just feel of TOS, it just just the visual uh, visual language, the visual presentation, the way shots dolly in, you know, the kind of reveals and whatnot. It just it's it, it you really feel like you're back there in the '60s. And taking a step back to to the beginning, where did you first find out about Star Trek and TNUs? When did it when did it come across your your radar, Tony? Well, um, for me personally, I was on a, a different journey from most Star Trek fans and 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 seeking out. Star Trek in fan movies. Um, I was doing research on uh, to try and find out where the original uh, model of the Enterprise was, the one that was used in the first six Star Trek movies. And you would have thought that this was easy. Oh yeah, somebody has it. Uh, it's in a museum. It's it's there. It, but trying to locate it was an absolute nightmare. And so I began to dig deeper and deeper and deeper, and I began to come across uh, different names associated with Star Trek, uh, either professionally um, or on the periphery. And fan films, um, you know, when you looked on YouTube, suddenly there was a Star Trek this, a Star Trek that, and you couldn't help think, well, what the heck is this? That's how I discovered it. And I came across um, Star Trek Continues, and... It was awesome because 
I thought, well, this must cost an enormous amount of money to make. And somebody somewhere is putting up a lot of big bucks just to make this. And then as I r realized that they're, they're doing it for a non-profit um, fun uh, basis, that just, uh, I was wowed by that. I just thought that these people are just having sheer fun making mm -hmm. these movies. And I, and I fell in love with them from that point onwards. Yeah, I remember uh, I was a uh, trekmovie.com was was my go-to sources for, you know, Star Trek news back in the day. Uh, it still is, you know, I, I still check in on there on occasion, not, not as religiously as I used to because I mean there used to be constant Star Trek news. I remember what I really found them was was uh, when the remastered TOS came out and they they did that like weekly reviews of the episodes and and showing the comparison videos between the original effects and the new effects. So I go to Trek movie all the time. And then you know one day they had an announcement about a new Star Trek fan series Star Trek continues. I'm like, "Okay, what much like you I was like, what is this?" Like, you know, what you know, I'm always skeptical when I hear about one of these things and um you know, I click on some of the pictures. I was like, "Oh, that's interesting." But then they they had a series of vignettes. Uh, they had three short vignettes before the actual show kind of like a proof of concept and um they were, you know, five minutes, give or take. And, and the first one was actually the, the uh, a, a recreation of the end of Turnabout Intruder, uh, a scene-by-scene, scene, uh, like the, fi the final scene where they were, um, Kirk and Lester switch bodies back. And uh, and then they extend that final scene for another, you know, two or three minutes. Everybody comes on the bridge, and they have a nice little moment together with the whole crew, and they fly off. And it's like, hey, we're continuing on from here. And that was a very impressive uh, recreation. And then they had a couple other ones called You've Got the Con, where uh, it's it's like the the B team is running the bridge. You got Sulu, Chickoff, and Uhura, and they're they're all kind of in the chair joking around. And the Kirk shows up, and they all like run back to their stations. It's a, it's a cute little moment. And then uh, a final one called Happy Birthday, Scotty, where uh, uh, they, they beam over some some new phasers, and Scotty is very impressed by them. So just just little proofs of concept, um, which which, uh, which paid off because like everyone's like, yeah, I'm on board for this. This looks great, and. Uh, also, something of note here was was Chris Dewin, James Dewin's son, plays Scotty in this show, and uh, I've heard a lot of Scotty impressions over the years, but no one can do it better than Chris Dewin, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, I saw an interview with him, and and people can find this on YouTube, and it's when uh, the, all the cast are just starting out, and they're talking about the future of what they're going to do, how they're going to do it. Vic is saying he won't. He'll probably try and not Shatner ask every situation he does, <laughs> but it, he's failed to do so, much to his credit. So I say that because he does a great Shatner esque um, Absolutely. acting technique. But um, Chris Dewan was scared that he would not be able to sound like his father. And obviously, he picked up tips from his father, and he could remember when his father. Uh, you know, used to do the accent for him. And he would actually, when he was a kid, he would actually be on the sets of various shows and he would watch what was going on. And he has a cute story about when he went to Scotland um, and they were honoring uh, James Doohan because there's a little town in Scotland called Lithgow where Scotty was born. Hmm. And uh, the mayor of Lithgow uh, picked up Chris at the airport and welcomed him and asked him if he, if when he was giving a little speech, um, would he do Scotty's accent? And Chris <laughs> said, no way, I will not do that because uh, I could not do a Scottish accent. And the mayor said, 
Well, it doesn't matter because your father couldn't do it either. (laughs) (laughs) And Scottish people will probably understand that because, you know, uh, James Doohan did a great job and we all love him as Scotty. But uh, there's some diehard Scots out there who are very, very picky about the accents and dialects. But um, I think uh, Chris picked up the baton and ran with it and did a great job. Absolutely. I think he successfully filled his father's shoes as far as as TOS um, Star Trek is concerned. Yeah, Yeah, and that added a sense of uh, legacy legitimacy to the whole thing as well. Uh, you know, everybody has their, you know, the, and they, they had, they can tune that tradition with bringing on other, other guest stars who'd either been on Star Trek previously or family members of those people and just kept it in the family, so to speak. And, uh, I mean, they even, even the, even the opening credits, they add Scotty to the opening credits, like, and Chris doing is Mr. Scott. And he was always, you know, the honorary member of the big three, you know, he's kind of straw that line between the, the Kirk, Spock and McCoy and then the other guys. And it, it was nice to see him kind of promoted to, to main credit status here. Well, he gave them all he got. So. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. He held yeah. it together. He held uh, it. Yeah. He, so, maximum power. Speaking of the speaking of the opening credits here, you know this this was supposed to be you know season four and five, if you will, of TOS. And so the opening credits when they when they first started the show, they did kind of a, a TNG esque opening credits. You see like a nebula, and then you see like the Enterprise, the original Enterprise, kind of rise up and and do the movements the Enterprise D did in its opening. Uh, that was like I can't, I can't recall how many episodes they kept that opening, but they eventually changed it to just basically you know an updated Star Trek original series opening, and I, and I prefer that because that's what's supposed to be. It's supposed to be you know Star Trek season four, if you will. What do you have a preference on that, Tony? What do you think? Oh, absolutely. I think keeping it close to the original uh, should all have, always have been the goal, and I love the opening, the original. Um, TOS opening uh, it was always the pick a star because that's where the Enterprise is going to appear from and no matter how many episodes you watched you never got the right star it always <laughs> came you know slightly different oh no it came from a, I must watch that the next time and and when you did it never came from the right spot so <laughs> that was a kind of a fun guessing game for me ridiculous as that sounds and it does but there you go. Um, no, it's great. And um, marrying that with the original um, Star Trek mu- music, the fan- the Alexander Courage uh, fanfare and introduction um, uh, just made it more real. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, I, I, I it, it wouldn't it wouldn't really be Star Trek, the original series or Star Trek continues if they didn't do the opening titles properly. All right. Yeah. Well, speaking speaking of the opening titles, there is another change in the in the opening titles. There's a casting change of Doctor McCoy because originally mm-hmm. Chuck Huber uh, played Doctor McCoy in the original vignettes, and he does a great McCoy. And actually, I actually met him at a, at a comic convention here in Houston. Some of my friends knew him from. It's funny because he was here because uh, a lot of these guys, you know, Vic, Todd, all these guys that they they've done voiceover animation. That's their claim to fame and, and genre fandom. Uh, so they have a big fan following for 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 that uh, anime and. You know, they come to these different comic conventions, and people come and see them. And so I was there with a couple of my friends. They're like, oh, hey, it's it's so-and-so. It's like Emperor Pilaf from something. And and I was like, oh, it's Dr. McCoy, man. And so, so it, was, it was just funny how you have different points of reference. But, yeah, Chuck Huber, I, I met him. He was a real nice guy. And I, obviously I met, you know, Larry Nibichek, Dr. Trek. I met him at Star Trek Las Vegas. He's been on Standard Orbit. He's a big friend of the network. And, and so uh, Chuck Huber was unavailable when they came to actually film 
the first couple episodes, Pilgrim Eternity and Lalani, because he was working on Parkland, which is a show, uh, a, show a movie about the, the day that uh, JFK was assassinated. And, you know, hard, hard to pass up working on, a, working on a feature film like that. So, you know, mm-hmm. he, he had to step out, unfortunately. Uh, but Dr. Shrek got to step in and play his doctor, favorite character, Dr. McCoy. So it worked out for Larry. Uh, he got to be Dr. McCoy in the first two episodes. And then Chuck was available again and stepped back in and, and, and filled out the rest of the, uh, the rest of the episodes. So it reminds me of kind of like the Savick switcheroo, you know, but Chuck came back. So it's, it's an interesting I, I, little anomaly there. <laughs> I think it was bittersweet for Larry because he loved wearing the uniform. He loved being Dr. McCoy, but I think he likes his beard better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if they had kept Dr. McCoy uh, with a beard on the show, then Larry, they, the whole circle would be complete and Larry would be in the, in heaven. He Perhaps just... they could have slowly transitioned to disco bones, you know, had slowly well, grown the, shown the evolution. Connect the dots between TOS and the motion picture, yeah. right? Which is what they did. <laughs> but, um, you know, if they had been really clever, they could have figured out a way of, having uh, Larry on the show as Dr. McCoy and then slowly get to realize that he's actually from the mirror universe. (laughs) Or, or they could have just had him be like Dr. Piper or something randomly. And then Dr. McCoy comes back for the, (laughs) for the Uh, other episodes. Who knows? Right. But anyway, it was fun to see Larry up there with, uh, with everybody else. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, this gets, and let's, let's talk about the casting here. You know, before you move on, I, I I had a nice experience, uh, meeting up with Larry and his mirror uh, universe alter ego, uh, Jeff Bond. And, uh, <laughs> Very true, yes. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so uh, I had dinner with both of them, and that was strange. <laughs> no, it was a great so many, evening. So many Don't, McCoys. So many McCoys. Je- Jeff so, Bond, of course, so uh, time. plays yeah. Dr. McCoy, or played him in uh, Star Trek New Voyages and Star he Trek did. Phase Two in a couple episodes. Did, so, yeah. And did a great job, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, did a great job. Uh so talk about the casting here. You know, Vic Mignogna, as we said, uh, spearheaded this whole thing. Spot on Kirk. He's the best non-William Shatner James Kirk. I mean, it, he captures the essence of Shatner's performance but doesn't parody it, and that's such a fine line to walk. I mean, you've heard his story. I mean, growing up watching TOS, like Captain Kirk was like his role model, you know, is, is who he wanted to be, and, and he finally got to be Captain Kirk, right? So uh, I just I cannot, I cannot applaud his performance enough because it, 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 it's really hard to impersonate well, well, to capture Kirk without impersonating Shatner, right? I I agree with you, but at the same time, uh, uh, William Shatner set um, a type, uh, a style, and if you didn't follow those little markers, then you kind of wouldn't accept that th- this person is Captain Kirk. Uh, you'd you'd accept that it was an actor uh, fulfilling a role and attempting to be Captain Kirk, but you wouldn't kind of say. Oh yeah, but you know it's not Captain Kirk; it's just a different guy. So, yeah, it is a difficult um, line to to follow. Do you really impersonate that stylized way that William Shatner speaks, or or do you just play it the way you would normally play it? And I think he got the balance right. I think he got that swagger, that look, that little smirky smile mm-hmm. when Bones is giving Spock a hard time, and. Uh, and just that way you move in the chair when, you know, at the end of yes. an episode when you say, <laughs> okay, Mr. Suler, uh, take her out, warp factor four, that away, yeah. you know. Standing up straight, crossing the legs, you know, just, yeah. just, the, just the, body, the body movements, the body language, the, yeah. the physical presence. And, 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 and that takes time and effort. You don't automatically do that. You imagine you could do it, mm-hmm. um, but <laughs> I don't think you could. I think 
Vic, um, as a trained actor, uh, is pulling together all his skills and uh, and bringing them to the front and doing a great job. So yeah, absolutely, yeah. So so he the A plus Kirk for him and Todd Habercorn and as Spock. You know, I I think I feel like he grew into the role. It's very hard to replicate Nimoy, especially. Especially Nimoy's just voice, you know, it just has this deep gravelly voice. And Todd's voice was a little off at the beginning, but I felt like he really came into his own in the Mirror Universe episode, which where Spock was the main character. And I was like, man, okay, he nailed Spock. And then from that point on, I really, I really thought he was a great Spock, the best non-Nimoy Spock, I dare say. So yeah, I was going to say, how could he keep a straight face? But then that was his job; he had to. <laughs> <laughs> he had to keep a straight face. Um, yeah, Leonard Nimoy had ways of pronouncing words, which always got me. Like he, we would say, uh, "There's something on the sensors," and he would say, "There's Sensor. something on the sensors, Captain." <laughs> you know, and so he had particular uh, enunciations uh, uh, in his in his dialect um, that I don't know that Todd uh, has captured, but uh-huh. he would deliver it in a Vulcan-like manner. Yeah, and uh, yeah. And keep it going, much like much, much like Vic copying Shatner's body yeah. language. You know, Todd Capper, Spock's body language, very, very proper posture, always standing up straight. Kind of when he would look up from his viewfinder or something, it was like, man, that that is exactly how Nimoy would would posture himself as well. So yeah, but then again, you know, if you if we kind of jump forward a bit and out of mm-hmm. out of style for a moment, and look at what they did with those characters in the 2009 Star Trek um, movie. Where again, we're we're supposedly looking at the crew from the 1960s. Uh, they did exactly the same thing. They they had to look, feel, pose, act, turn, twist, say the lines in a stylized way. And again, they, they were caught up in that these are established characters. You don't, you know, you don't speak in a high pitched squeaky voice for Spock, and you don't speak in a I don't know, a different type of accent for Kirk and whatever. But, uh, you know, he's not from, like, say, South America or something. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think it calls for a different kind of performance. Like, you know, Chris Pine and Zach Quinto are great as Kirk and Spock in their context of their other films, you know. Uh, I just feel like if this is, you know, they're truly trying. Everything else was so spot on, replicating of the original series, you know, as we talked about the sets, the, the camera angles and all those things. If if the characters don't match enough what you had just you know theoretically just witnessed in the quote unquote previous year, it would be a major disconnect, and uh, they understood that balance. So, so all credit to them because I think that is most fan series that is the weakest link is the acting. You know, I mean, you cover a lot of fan series beyond oh, continuing yeah. mission, <laughs> uh, but it's it's actually very difficult to to comment on how people perform inside um, fan movies. Um, original storylines, uh, which involve characters that that don't exist um, in mainstream Star Trek, um, you you, you kind of can't comment too much because you you've never met these people before, and mm-hmm. maybe that is the way they 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 uh, normally behave. But even so, there's a certain there's a certain way that people go about portraying a character on a starship in a you know in a given situation. And it either works or either very relaxed in the role. They're, I heard a story actually directly from the mouth of Nicholas Meyer when he was directing Kirk in, um, in the search, in, uh, not the searcher's book, in The Wrath of Khan, where he wanted him to say a particular line. And Kirk was so, or rather William Shatner 
was so confident that he could deliver the line and move on to the next scene that that's exactly what he did. And I can't remember what the line was, but he delivered the line. And then Nicholas said, no, no, that's... And they went to 13, 14 takes. I, yeah, I, I know this, I know the one you're talking about. It's, yeah. when, uh, it's when they're supposed to transmit the data for Genesis to, to Khan. And Kirk's like, here it comes. Here it comes. Here it, here comes. it comes. Shatner kept doing it like that. Yeah. And eventually, Meyer just he kept doing take after take and a take after take because he didn't want him to telegraph it. So he wore him down until he got tired and just over it. And he was like, here it comes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so it completely oh my it, it, it subverts God, here, the expectation it of yeah. telegraphing to the audience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess they have the luxury of the budget and the luxury of time and the luxury of saying, you know, millions of people around the globe are going to see this and they're going to have to believe <laughs> it. Whereas with fan film, um, you're only on the set, particularly, uh, you know, uh, if you're using the, some of the sets that are around, you're only on there for a very short time. So you've got to get in, get out, shoot your scene. And, and do the, the best you can. And I guess everybody, you know, if it's a one-off or a, a two-movie um, shoot, uh, people are nervous and, and they, the camera's now on them. They're not actors and they're going to go, you know, their eyes are shifting left to right and up and down. And, and then do I look at the camera? Do I not look at the camera? And then they deliver the line. And, and it, it's fun because you're following the storyline, but slightly uncomfortable because of the, the the pace at which it goes. And you can't blame anybody for that because they're doing a, a great job. But it's, you know, Star Trek continues. It was a very slick operation. Yeah, and these are these are labors of love, you know, yeah. so it's always hard to, like, you know, be too critical of everybody oh, yeah. you know, on these things. So it's it's always tough. And, you know, you can only judge it for just on a complete, completely objectively. Like, okay, well, the, this this aspect is better than this show's aspect is better than this other show's aspect, you know, and that's just the way you got to look at it. But uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I totally get it. And, and continues, right? It had the advantage of having pretty much its its main cast was all, if if not all actors, like screen actors, they're all performers of some kind. You know, Grant Imanhara as Sulu, right? He was on Mythbusters, you know. Uh, I think in the original, in the when the show first started, continues, he was really trying to do the, the George Takei's voice. Like, oh, yes, sir, we can scrape it off the saucer section. You know, you could tell he was really trying to do the deep voice. And as, it, as the show went on, he kind of got a little more comfortable and was like trying not, he didn't, you know, try to do that as much because <laughs> it did seem a little forced <laughs> for for Sulu. Uh, I thought uh, I thought Wayne Lanehart as Chekhov was great. He really captured that. Uh, you know, we were joking about James Doohan's bad Scottish accent. He really captured Walter Koenig's bad Russian accent. Right? So. <laughs> well, for years I used to think that Walter Koenig was actually a Russian. I didn't, you know, and I'm not saying to say I was disappointed to learn he was from Chicago. I I love Chicago, and I thought, hey. You know, that's great. But um, it came as a complete surprise that uh, mm-hmm. Walter was uh, not from the Soviet Union. But um, <laughs> but he did. A, I, I didn't have a problem with uh, with Walter's Russian accent. I thought, well, I'm not I'm not I'm neither Russian nor Scottish, so I cannot comment on the accuracy <laughs> of their impersonations. Yes, but, but I can, I can only cannot, assume that people in Russia were like, oh, this guy, that's what they think we sound like. OK, you cannot <laughs> um, you cannot watch uh um, a U.S. aircraft carrier 
on any screen without saying nuclear nuclear vessels nuclear vessels (laughs) (laughs) so good uh then of course you know around out the principal cast here kim stinger is uhura was great uh and they let her do some singing which was you know in the early days of tos they they uh showed off nichelle nichols vocal prowess as a as a musician and a singer and i'm glad especially in the first episode pilgrim returning uhura had a, a pretty sizable role more than you would see on the original series, and that's something that continues really tried to, uh, quote unquote, rectify, if you will, uh, putting the spotlight around to a lot of the other characters, you know, because uh, uh, TOS, it, it, you know, I, I feel like at the beginning, and I've said this before on Serenor, but they were trying stuff out. They tried to be more of an ensemble. You look at those early episodes, like the Man Trap or something. You spend time with like Janice Rand and Sulu, and McCoy is the main focus of that episode, right? It's not always about Kirk and Spock. Then, you know, as the show continues, they saw the formula that worked. Oh, Kirk, Spock, and a little McCoy in here, too. That became the template for the majority of the episodes. And then, unfortunately, a lot of the other cast got off to the side. Scotty got a little more attention than the rest just because someone had to be in command when Kirk and McCoy and Spock were gone. But uh, it continues, and it does this, and then it adds other characters to the mix, which, you know, the people have seemed pretty mixed about this, but... Look, look, look at it this way. Like this is if this is really season four of TOS, they need to like inject something, some new life into it, and make some things up. Uh, they would add some new characters, maybe. Because look at okay, if you go back and look at season one of TOS, there's no checkoff. You, you watch season two, like who is this? Who is this Russian monkeys Beatles ripoff guy that just added to the bridge? That's not my Star Trek. You know the same. If you transpose that to, to, to this internet era of, of immediate feedback and, and annoyance from fans, it would be the same thing. We add a character like Dr. McKenna, who I think is, is a great character, and Michelle Speck, probably the one of the, if not the best actress or actor on here. You know, she does an excellent job, and yes, the creator for the show, but I, I thought she was great. I have, I have zero complaints about her character. Absolutely. Um, did the... Uh, she was personalizing or she was introducing the first counselors on board a starship is that, yes that's yes correct? The, the counselor program as, as you know as, as they work their way towards tng i you know honestly i think i think that was a little too much of a tie-in they could have called her just like a doctor or the ship psychiatrist much like you know dr jenner was and where no man has gone before they could have just had her fill that role but again they were you know they were trying to you know connect the dots between tos era and tng era so i i get that let me just um, leap in here to say that what really kept this show going as well as the, as the great acting and, and just the set design and the feeling that you're watching a show from the 60s, which, you know, they're trying to recreate everything, the emotion, the storytelling, all aspects of that show, not just, hey, I'm going to put a yellow shirt on and sit in the captain's chair and, <laughs> and say whatever I say. Um, it's all about the cut scenes like they cut from one scene to the next or they're running down a corridor and the the lighting is has to be perfect but the visual effects of the enterprise going through space or orbiting a planet or firing phasers or launching a torpedo that was outstanding i mean obviously in the 60s they had hard models to use and uh, now we have the benefit of um, CGI. But even with CGI, you can get it so wrong. And mm-hmm. uh, in this, they had some top-notch people working in the background. And yeah, that... Doug Drexler was, was a team member as well, and he made a cameo in the first episode. I am wondering if that's something that gave them that extra push to go and do this, the fact that they had remastered some scenes uh, for TOS, and they thought, well hey, these look great. We could do this. 
you know, the people, there's people out there with all sorts of um, CGI programs who could learn very quickly how to uh, make the enterprise look like it's flying past your nose and, and, and in a believable way. So I guess that gave them the extra edge. The idea that you could create those CGI effects may have given a boost to Star Trek continues to go ahead and, and, uh, and make their show because if it was cardboard cut out of the Enterprise, you know, floating by a planet, it would ruin the whole effect of everybody being perfect on the bridge in the sick bay or wherever, on the transporter room. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It fits in, like, this easily slides in with the remastered shows. You know, if, if they'd never done Star Trek remastered, you, you, this wouldn't really feel like, oh, yeah, it looks kind of like Star Trek, but then you cut to the CGI Enterprise, but... Like I said, like it, we've gone ten plus years now since remastered, and a lot of the effects and continues look better than <laughs> than what they did in remastered. Because, and again, it's knowing the limitations of what they have to work with, and then not overdoing it, not doing things the Enterprise would never do. You know, like do barrel barrel rolls and stuff like that. I mean, you've seen you've seen that in other fan shows, and 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 again, the the earlier fan shows they were trial and error, they're figuring stuff out. So so you know, no slight to them. But you know, you, you, when you you try something like that out, because you're like, we can do things with the Enterprise we've never done before, and then you realize like, okay, they couldn't do it back then, and maybe it's for the best that they couldn't do it back then, <laughs> because it looks kind of silly. So just know the limitations of the ship; don't make it do anything crazy. And I think they really stayed true to uh, to what could be done in TOS, except for maybe the last episode. But we can talk about <laughs> we can talk about yeah. Let's that let's later. move. <laughs> yeah, let's, we can move because, on to the show so, itself. So uh, for those people who haven't watched. Uh, um, the last couple of episodes to boldly go parts one and two. Uh, mm-hmm. They should pause this podcast right here. Go and watch it. Yeah, because because we're we're gonna. I'm just gonna do a quick quick blow through the uh, the episodes here, and then we'll, we can talk. Uh, we're gonna talk a little bit in depth out a few things that will spoil you. So basically, if you were a fan of the original series, and you haven't heard of Star Trek Continues, or you have heard of it, and you're like, eh, I don't know, fan shows, eh, you know, check it out. Like if you, if you like the original series, you will like Star Trek Continues. I guarantee it. So, with that said, spoilers ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, uh, the, the the whole point of the show is to kind of um, draw a conclusion around the beginning of the five year mission, or when we uh, in TOS do we join them halfway through the five year? mission? You see, well, here, it, this and this ties into this ties into my my head canon that I, I wanted to mention this too because and you know in my head canon right. Seasons one, two, and three are the first three years of the five-year mission. Seasons one and two of the animated series is seasons four and five, and that was it, right? And then Where No Man Has Gone Before takes place before the five-year mission. That's how I justify, okay, everything looks different. If you look back at the actual episode, there's no narration. Kirk, there's no Kirk space, the final frontier, you know, the five-year mission. That that's It's just the instruments and the opening credits, which is interesting. Uh, so, so, you know... Fandom over the years is have there you see all of these different dates. The Okudas have their Star Trek chronology. DC Fontana has commented on on certain things about the animated series being you know the fourth season of of TOS, um, or, or the five year mission. You know, so there's lots of ways to look at it, right? So when I look at Star Trek Continues, it's like, how how do I fit this in, right? For them, obviously, it's like, hey, we're picking up after season three, and then we go all the way to the motion picture. So that would leave you like five episodes for the the fourth year and five episodes for the fifth year, I guess. If you look at it that way, it's tough because you can't the way they made the show. And I'm glad, you know, I'm glad they connected the dots and whatnot. But you can't like wedge the animated series in there anywhere. Like you you can, I guess, if you want. 
uh, but there's a lot there's lots of inconsistencies like there's the second turbo lift on the bridge there's life support belts there's different crew members and you got eric's mrs on there uh check off and chapel uh chapel's not in continues check off is chapel is in the animated series check off isn't so i mean but it's you can make it work if you really want and just again it's more stories with the original crew on the original ship and that's what you want but yes it's hard to fit it's hard to fit all that stuff they're kind of mutually exclusive either either it's continues after tos or it's the animated series after tos and and you be the judge right <laughs> i don't understand why they didn't have nurse chapel on there because there was plenty of uh, scope for her to appear um I'm not even sure if there's any explanation as to why she's not on there, but yeah. Well, she's... there are a couple of characters, you know, as, we're, as we can talk about it here now. We're and I guess spoiler territory, right? Uh, there's no Janice Rand. There's no Chapel. They did add Doctor McKenna, as we talked about. And they added uh, Lieutenant Smith, who was Yeoman Smith from where, where No Man Has Gone Before. And at the time, I was like, oh, that's that's interesting to bring back that character. And then at the end of the show, you're like, oh, so that's why they brought back that character. I do wonder had they. I mean, they must have planned it out that far in advance, I, I, I assume. She plays a big role in the finale, and you're like, oh, that's the only character that that made sense to, to, to happen for. So good job. Good foresight there, Star Trek continues. So I would have liked, it would have been nice to see like a, a Janice Rand, you know, but again, you, I guess you have to be like, why is she back on the Enterprise? She was gone after season one, and now it's season four. And But you did you did see a character like Dr. Mbenga. He comes back in uh, Divided We Stand, and he also comes back into Boldly Go. So that was great to see him again, because he was one of the rare recurring uh crew members you know you had like a kevin riley who came back for a couple episodes dr mbinga was in a couple episodes so it's nice to see those guys back again um and then you know i did want to mention security chief drake uh who was pre- uh by steven dingler who was an executive producer so it was cool because we had never really seen a security chief on the show before and then man he comes to a he comes to a tragic end doesn't he like see and that's what's a good thing about this show like like they introduce these characters and they kill them off and you feel sad <laughs> about it and that's a well-done show right there right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's like, you know, they're kind of almost stepping into Game of Thrones arena, <laughs> you know. Hey, have we killed off any major character? No. Oh, get that guy and kill him. I don't, you know. <laughs> you know, I, I did say to myself, like, okay, all these characters they introduced, they're going to kill off, right? And they, they pretty much did, uh, which was a little depressing there at, at the end. But uh... But the absence of just bringing it back to Nurse Chapel that kind of jars a bit because she seemed to be a major character that was glaringly missing from the show and the reasons why we'll never know but you know i'm not saying um dr mckenna was there because nurse chapel wasn't but michelle Spack, as good as actress as she is could have been nurse chapel would it have made a difference? I don't know, but you know. Oh, that would it. Well, and and where they ended up taking her character would have made a difference, right? Uh, but I, I see your point. I mean, there were established female characters she could have. Pre- I mean, did you want to make her Janice Rand or something? Like, I liked how she had a, a, a sense of authority over the rest of the crew. You know, she had a doctor's. Uh, I mean, she was a doctor, right? So she had a certain, you know, a purpose in a lot of episodes that those other characters would not have had. You know, you have episodes where, where people need to be counseled or people need to talk about what's going on. She's the person to talk to. Her and Spock's relationship, I actually, you know, if you tell me that on paper, I'd be like, what is this? Like, this isn't, you know, but but the way they executed it was it was very subtle throughout the course of the episodes. Like, you know, he, 
he confided in her in a couple things and and you had seen and he had mentioned like you know I, i'm not predisposed to discuss matters of a personal nature or whatever but over time yes. you know they, they form a bit of a bond he goes to her for counsel and whatnot yeah. especially in the episode where he's considered to be promoted for captaincy and he asks for her opinion on that and i, I think you know it, it was organic as it could have been and i really liked it and it could have been like a i'm sure a lot of people feel like it's a wharf and troy or chicote and seven of nine situation but it was never quite a romance per se. It was like it was right on the cusp of that, well, right? especially think, in the last two episodes. But yeah, I think she was. You're talking about Nurse Chapel and, and Spock. <clears throat> I think she was representing representing the hopes and dreams of millions of women, uh, <laughs> you know, who every week would see Spock and they would dream of uh, dating him and you know going going to for a meal with him and and right. never, well, they uh, never and that's quite I, got there but well that's no. what i was saying about you you compare like maybe you know mckenna as nurse chapel type you know well they actually unlike chapel where there was just it's all one-sided you know there was definitely something there between mckenna and spock right at the end uh and that's what made her end so tragic and what spurred spock to go to vulcan and purge all emotion you know and i'm like you know what that's and that's a great link actually again a bit of a spoiler but uh yeah yeah, I mean, we in in the opening scenes of the motion picture, we find Spock on Vulcan uh, going through the Kolinar, and but we don't know how he transited from the end of the five year mission uh, to Vulcan. It's just a jump. He, what you know, one week he's out in space, next he's <laughs> sitting by a river full of lava, and. Uh, so we don't know how he got there, but yeah, that that was a great link and totally plausible, totally believable. believable. Yeah. So you know, if if you don't mind, Zoe, before we before we jump ahead, I just want to do a quick blow through of these episodes here. Yeah, sure. Uh, face off my my opinions and whatnot, and you can please please chime in. Uh, I, I'm gonna I'm sure I'm gonna get on like a roll here and. <laughs> So let's cut me off. I'll just want. I'll just go and make a coffee and I'll come back and join you in about twenty minutes. <laughs> um. But so, you know, the first episode of Pilgrim Eternity, right? You bring back Apollo. That was great. Michael Forrest, great actor. Glad they could bring him back. Uh, it was a sequel episode, but there was an established uh, precedent for that with, like, Harry Mudd, right? Harry Mudd was in an episode, and they brought him back for another one. So it's not out of context for TOS, and I like how they tied it all together. The only thing at the end was, you know, once again, hey, we're in spoiler territory here, so deal with it, folks. The extra scene, like, the almost the post credit scene, if you will, like the one-year-later scene where Apollo's on the planet and his powers have been restored, like, that was amazing. Like, I literally choked up. Like, I got emotional that scene because that was, like, a very powerful scene where you can tell, like, oh – through it's through you know uh, sacrifice of yourself that you your powers are restored not through the worship of others you know so that's it's, it's just a nice star trek message where it's like hey the golden rule practice the golden rule and you're going to be fine and it was and it was a great story you know a great way to to launch the uh, the series and i when i first saw that episode like i remember when i found out about star trek continues i was uh i work a lot of, you know i work a lot of events and whatnot doing multimedia so i got home after working at working at an event and I, I was like, all right, I'm tired, but I'm, I'm gonna watch the, I'm gonna watch the teaser of this, and then I'll check out the rest later. And then like, I watched the teaser. I was like, no, I have to watch this whole thing. <laughs> so it's like one o'clock in the morning. I watched the whole episode, and I probably watched it, you know, three or four times before the next one came out because I loved it so much. And then Lolani came out, and that was even better. Lolani was is is um, uh, it is the most. If you had to pick one episode of this entire run, right, that's the one that could easily slide into TOS. Like, there's no. And I love the fan service. We all do, right? But there's no true, like, look, we're connecting the dots here. Remember this character there? Like, this is the one episode that kind of stands alone more than almost any other ones. I I feel like this was a self-contained story. It had, like, a good social message. 
you know, had a great guest star with Lou Ferrigno as uh, as Zaman Han. <laughs> of course, they paint him green, just like the Hulk, right? It's brilliant. I wonder, was, was there an in-joke there? Hey, you're, you're going to be a different guy, but you'll be green again. I, I do wonder. It's like, you know, and, and it's well, like no, they sit green. around and they think about who they're going to cast and then figure it out. Like, okay, we got Lou Ferrigno. We have to make him a Ryan guy, so we paint him green, right? <laughs> who knows, right? But uh, Field of Room uh, as Lilani, a great. She looks, she looks like a Katy Perry, like beautiful, beautiful woman. And the painter green, she does a great job, and they, they find threads of stuff from before, like the Orion, uh, that whole mythology there with the, those characters, but it's not a sequel or anything. It's independent. It builds off things you know, but it's its own self-contained story. She goes on to play an Orion in Star Trek Beyond, you know, a background character, but she's the one that uh, that breaks up a Chekhov, and then you see, her, and then you see her in the uh, in the in the big crew scenes. Uh, so, so the uh, the Kelvin timeline, Lolani had a better end than the Prime timeline, Lolani, if you want to look at it that way. But a great a great episode there, and then fairest of them all, the next episode, even better. So, so, so the way I'm like, man, these are getting better and better. Fairest of them all is my favorite episode of Star Trek Continues. Uh Yes, they would never in 100 years do this episode in 1970, right? They're not going to do some flashback sequel to a season two episode. But but it's amazing. It's the story we all wanted to see once we found out. Well, since Mirror Mirror, we wanted to find this out. But especially after Deep Space Nine and we find out what happened in the Mirror Universe after Mirror Mirror, you're like, man, I wanted to see that. And there have been books about it. William Shatner did, you know, did his Mirror Universe uh, trilogy. And so you got some follow-up there. But, but this was great. I mean, you saw... You got to, and this is probably Vix. I feel like this was his best episode as Kirk because you got to see him go get a full unleashed evil Kirk, and 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 you know that Shatner would have ate this role up too if he would have had a chance to play it because remember, he didn't really get to play Mirror Kirk. He only got to play him in that one scene where he's really over the top. But uh, just to see, just to see what the status quo is, you know, in the Mirror Universe, and to see how Spock, you know, maneuvers his way to to take control back of the ship, and and just even in that first scene where you see that they recreate the end of Mirror Mirror. And the and the and the guys being back, and then you have that sense of dread, knowing that oh crap, the other guys are coming back, right? You see like um, Spock and Marlena Monroe look at each other, like oh here we go. And by the way, what a great actress they got for her, uh, whose name escapes me at the minute, but she was spot on, looked just like uh, Barbara Luna from Mirror Mirror, great actress as well. So it's not just that they look alike. You know that that's one fact, but you have to be good actors as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this episode, which is which is so great, you know, Spock's mutiny, and then you have uh, you have Michael Dorn as the computer voice, which was great. Um, you also have Marina Sirtis doing the computer voice in in the non Mirror Universe, so that's that's a cool tie-in because Major Barrett was, of course, the computer voice for you know the Prime Timeline and her you know on-screen daughter, you know Deanna Troy, Alexandra Troy. That's the connection there. So 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 much so much awesome fan service in this episode, and they go and of course I'm a little biased because they go down to Space Center in Houston. And film the Galileo shuttlecraft, right? <laughs> so that that makes his first appearance there. So this that was my favorite episode of the, of the whole show. That was the that was the zenith of Star Trek Continues to me. Fairest of them all. Again, would they have made that episode? No, in, in nineteen seventy. But I love it anyway. Followed up by my least favorite episode of Star Trek Continues: The White Iris. Did you did you see this one, Tony? With uh, this the... is one of the ones I missed. I have to. Admit. Okay, yeah. So so, so I'm, I'm... I won't go too deep into spoilers, but basically, I'm going to watch it right after this show. There you go. He's he's fired. I've I've got him fired up to watch uh, <laughs> my least favorite episode. And you know, again, not to say they're bad, right? But I just I was on such a high after those first three episodes. The White Iris didn't really stick with me because again, I think it's I think it's um. I think it's something they would have never done in the 60s, but how hypocritical of me, because my favorite episode is also one they never would have done in the 60s, but uh, but Kirk, he gets hit on the head, and he has these flashbacks and apparitions of past loves, some of which we know from the show, some of which we don't, 
I, I would have preferred it if it were more standalone. Like if it was all if, if it didn't have all these callbacks to look here's here's the ghost of Miramani and here's the ghost of Edith Keeler and here you know it's like it was just a little too fan fiction to me in my opinion. So that, that's why that was my least favorite. Um, Come not between the dragons. The next episode, eh, it, it was okay. Um, the the monster suit was great. Uh, Usti was the was the alien creature. And, um, and the guest star was great again. The the um, female star of Farscape, which I never watched Farscape, guys, so I, I don't know what her name is, but she did a great job. <laughs> um, it was it was interesting to 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 see like a monster suit in the style of what you would see in the '60s. You know, I really liked that. It was a very unique design. Uh, the, the 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 message there again was was very. A powerful message about you know abuse and the cycle of that and that and that's what something again Star Trek continues even when the episodes were a little weaker like these last two they have a good message you know uh, and that's and again they 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 understand that Star Trek was about the story first and everything else filling in the gaps so coming out between the dragons it was okay uh, I don't really ha- I don't have much to say about it because it was again like White Iris those are probably my least my least two favorite episodes of the show but um, the next one divided we stand. Uh, was they they took advantage of uh, civil war reenactment, which I thought was a great idea because it's very it's a, it's very TOS to to find something like that to to be transported somehow some way into a old Earth environment or classic TOS and you know they want to get off the ship. All these other episodes at this point have been ship bound bottle shows because hey let's face it they got a budget right and much and much like season three of TOS right it's this is season four at this point <laughs> the budget would keep getting cut and cut and cut so I, I they kept finding creative ways to stay on the ship so all credit to them but I like how this expanded the scope of everything Kirk and McCoy Chuck Huber gets his first big performance as McCoy he had come back for Ferris of them all but just had like a scene uh, so I hadn't had much to do but this is a Kirk and McCoy adventure which which is fun. You know, we see a lot of Kirk Spock adventures, but it's fun to see a Kirk McCoy adventure. Uh, their callbacks to, like, Savage Curtain with Kirk being a huge uh, Abraham Lincoln fan. Of course, there's – I felt a little bit of, like, Omega Glory with, like, Kirk, Mr. America here. Captain America, if you will. <laughs> Captain America Kirk. He could do this all day. I know, right? <laughs> I told you. I told you I'm going to keep going, so cut yeah, me off, man. Do this all day. Uh, oh, I see. It was a Captain America reference. I thought you were yeah. talking about my, yeah, see, keep <laughs> my up. role here. Keep, keep up, Zach. Keep up. <laughs> But uh, but no, I'm excited. You know, you get to talk about these fan shows all the time. I have to stay in like the the canonized Star Trek on this podcast. So this is my one chance to talk about this stuff, or is it? We'll talk about that later. Uh-huh. But um, well, uh, divided we stand. The, the, they bring out Doctor Mbenga, which was cool because McCoy's off the ship, and what do you do for a doctor when he's gone? Bring in Doctor Mbenga. So that was a cool callback. Uh, the one thing I'll, I will complain about here, and this is the as you'll notice, the, this is my one complaint about continue sometimes is like. The, the unnecessary over-the-top connecting of the dots. And that's very, to me, that's very Star Trek novel-esque. It's like, look, these, and they didn't say it outright, but clearly the the biomechanical organisms that started this whole thing were Borg-related because you see a close-up of like them looking through a microscope, and it's clearly the Borg. And they don't say it, and it's fine. But at the same time, I think they could have just not done that, and it would have been fine all the same. So Divided We Stand, another, uh, just adds the scope more than anything else. A uh, good episode. Now, the next one, Embracing the Winds. Brilliant episode. This is probably, after the first three, this is my probably my my my, my favorite after that. Um, I, I say that, but I like some of the other later ones, too. But this one, there, there's, a, there's a big debate about there being a female captain. You know, and, and kind of like I was saying earlier about continues... Uh, rectifying, if you will, some things about TOS where, like, there's not enough focus on the rest of the characters. Another thing they tried to do was kind of, um, you know, 
uh, I don't I don't say rectify, but like explain away or you know, certain um, 60s sensibilities. Uh, what, what much like Kirk being a womanizer, right? That's what the White Iris was kind of about, like you know, exploring that and, and recontextualizing it. Embracing the Winds was recontextualizing the lack of female captains in the original series. You know, that, that, those those lines in Turnabout Intruder that everybody talks about for never and ever and ever. Uh, but then you look at Enterprise, and there was a female captain, and then there's so so this this does a good job kind of explaining that. Also, it's it's a fairly standalone story. It doesn't call back or forward to anything except for one character who's whose descendant end up ends up becoming an important character in Star Trek lore. That's that's okay. Would they have done that in 1970? Absolutely not, because they didn't know <laughs> what was coming in the future. But that's fine. Um, a good courtroom drama. We get to see the dress uniforms and whatnot. And uh, and this and, and it came out around the time of the election, the presidential election. It definitely had some parallels to that, I think. And regardless of what side you're on, I think you can definitely see both sides. It's funny they gotten a lot of like. They got a lot of negative feedback from both sides. Like, oh, this is clearly liberal, and oh, this is clearly conservative. It's like, look, guys, right in the middle here. That's a great Let me show you. Question: Is Kirk a Republican or a Democrat? That's a. <laughs> We're not going to answer that on this podcast. No, no, no. <laughs> but... <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, just a great trial about if if uh, uh, Commander Garrett, uh, who is who works at Starfleet Space Dock. She'd been a first officer on a Constitution-class ship. She applies for captaincy of a Constitution-class vessel, but there's a lot of debate about, you know, women not being captains, and the Tellarites are apparently the reason for that because they're a chauvinist society, which had been established and makes sense. And Spock also gets nominated. It, Kirk has to wrestle with losing Spock. It's the first, like, he wants Spock to get the command, but at the same point, at the same time, he doesn't want to lose him as his first officer. So it, lots of going on this episode. Excellent episode. Still trays the shadow, the next episode. This one is it's a sequel to Foley and Webb, and it also has shades of like Deadly Years because you have an older duplicate Kirk. Uh, so it's a, it's a lot going on there, and then you have your your scientist of the week uh, played by uh, Rinka Sharma. I hope I pronounced her name correctly. I it's yes, <laughs> before she discovered tardigrades. <laughs> exactly before she was on there before she was on Discovery and uh, after she was on Battlestar Galactica so it's so a big time guest star there uh, that she was very just kept jumping ships that accounted for her erratic behavior <laughs> of course oh, by the way and she was in Smallville by the way I gotta gotta throw that out there as you guys know I'm uh, host of my Smallville podcast I love wow. my Smallville Star Trek connections so she was a doctor on Smallville for a few episodes uh, minor role but uh, anyway very I thought it was a very good episode now I will say this. I, I, I don't know, and, I, and they, they will probably never admit it. They will probably never admit it. But the fact that they find an old Kirk makes me think, were they thinking they could get William Shatner to play this part? Because they, they find an old Kirk, and that's a whole, you know, the story revolves around him. And Vic did a great job in the dual roles as old and young Kirk. Um, and really captures that old Kirk Shatner from Deadly Years, you know, just his mannerisms, and once again capturing that, that Kirk essence. But, but I really think somewhere in the back of their heads they're like, okay, Vic can play both roles, but maybe we can get Shatner to do it. They they never did, obviously, and it, it was probably for the best because it would have been been very distracting. Uh, and also, you know, they they already did that in To Serve All My Days back on uh, Star Trek Phase Two or Star Trek New Voyages with the checkoff uh, where Walter Koenig came back and Sulu in. Uh, World Enough in Time on Star Trek Phase 2. Um, so that trick has already been done in fan films. It, it, it would be a bit gimmicky to do it yet again, but but I couldn't help but think they found they found an 80-year-old Kirk, right? It's like, okay, somebody well, was thinking that, Shatner. I mean, if that had <laughs> have happened, uh, that would have sent 
shockwaves through the industry like crazy through the through the fan film industry i'm talking about mm-hmm. um I, I always get the feeling that kurt at uh, excuse me that william shatner is looking for a good opportunity to put the uniform on again and hopefully that will happen at some point um would he have done it in a fan-made production i'm kind of thinking no for any reason whatsoever um i don't know why i feel that but i just think that he holds a, a, himself at a certain level and 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 he w- he wouldn't drop the bar on that one yeah no, that's I, just I me I, I agree with you I, I don't think that would have happened either but but i think that was somewhere in their mind when they wrote that episode what ships are for is the next episode uh, that was this one was actually written by kipling brown uh who played lieutenant smith who we mentioned earlier yeah this was a great episode. Very strong Star Trek message, I think. And the whole black and white color uh, planet thing was a very inspired yeah. choice I would have never thought of in a million years, right? Caught you by surprise you know, when they beam down to a monochromatic planet. Or rather, is the planet monochromatic or there's some radiation affecting their uh, retinas or their eyes? and They're just seeing everything in black and white. I wonder if they would have done that in the 60s. I mean, I, I think maybe they would have. Um, but it might have confused a lot of people back then because some, so a lot of people still had black and white TVs. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. It was kind of hard to figure out what where that story was going because mm-hmm. as soon as they beam down to this planet and they're seeing everything monochromatically, um, mm-hmm. you're br- because we, we know what Star Trek... Um, the original series stands for and the morality tales it tells my brain instantly went oh they're going to tell tell a race story here they're going to tell a story about equality between you know black people white people that sort of thing it's going to and in a way it kind of was but done in a very clever way uh done in a in a different style but yeah they were almost telegraphing it to a degree but not so much, not so in your face. And I, I liked it from the, from the get-go. And mm-hmm. John Delancey, you know, he really made it. Yeah, and, and, this, and John Delancey, I, I, find it, I didn't find it distracting. You know, he was different enough from Q. Um, it was interesting to see almost, oh, Q talking to Captain Kirk. It was, you know, it was exciting, too. Um, so so, so even, even when they did, quote-unquote, gimmicky fan casting like that, they did it very well, where it wasn't like, look, it's Q from Next Generation. You know, they could have it could have been over the top and weird, but they they did it very cleverly, and I like that a lot. And then finally, to boldly go right, parts one and two, we can talk about these together. Um, I really liked part one, loved part one. I thought part one was great. I thought tying it back into where No Man Has Gone Before, which is my favorite episode of the original series. Yeah. I thought it was clever to do that to kind of make it all come full circle. You know, well, they didn't hurry it. I mean, a lot of shows when they're finishing off their season and it's going to be the last show they tie a lot of loose ends together and they do it very quickly and they have to do it in a 45 to 50 minute slot and and it all feels very rushed here we had the luxury of you know two episodes where they could pace it out at their leisure um so the show opens with kirk um spock and a red shirt guy beaming down and he immediately wanders off camera. And I thought, okay, he, this is the one where the red shirt gets it. 
<laughs> and uh, then he didn't. Yeah, that, that, I don't know who that guy was. Um, I'm sure I could look it up, but he was a recurring security officer throughout the show. So I was like, are they going to kill him off too? But they didn't. He he, he lived to die yeah, another day. I, so. <laughs> I kept thinking... Any second now, it's yeah. he's gonna get it. Well, he, yeah, he well, didn't. and and you know, speaking of that scene uh, near the middle of the episode, they uh, we get to see the planet set. You know, we didn't really get to see the planet set other than in um, what ships are for. So they they, they spent a lot of money, uh, you know, crowdfunding this planet set. Unfortunately, they got cut short a couple episodes and they didn't get to use it as much as they wanted. But it was very impressive. Um, we got to see Romulans in this episode. I love that. Uh, I thought it was clever to not see the Klingons. We got to see their ship and uh, still dress the shadow, but that's it. Uh, because, you know, whenever Klingons show up, especially at TOS, it's very controversial. Like, oh, what, what they look like this. Oh, what about the augment virus? And blah, 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 blah. And they have Discovery going on. So it's like, you know, best to just avoid that entirely <laughs> and just so and just show Romulans. And uh, we got to see them in, the, in um, the series finale here, and I thought that was great. And we get to see the return of the Romulan commander, huh? That's, that's yes. uh, play, played by her daughter. Yes, so. Amy Rydell. Um, and she looked just like her. This is it. <laughs> I mean, people are stunned. Do you do this? mother and daughter comparison and it is f- phenomenal I, I i don't know if they you know just going up um into a little detail here mm-hmm. um i don't know if the uniform that her daughter was wearing was her mother's original uh design oh uniform for the, the actual the yeah. actual piece but in order to recreate that fabric they must have had to hunt high and low for oh yeah you know, because that it had a weird print on it that you could very, just... very unique, very unique fabric yeah. for the Romulans, and uh, and you know, Enterprise Incident is also one of my favorite episodes of the yeah. series. So I'm already, I'm already loving this finale. Right? I'm like, oh, this is bringing back all my, all my favorite episodes together, and you get to see the Romulan Bird of Prey again, something you yeah. you hadn't seen. And since the commander season one. was it Zentek or Zal or I can't uh, uh, Tal? No, Tal, yeah, her sub commander, yeah, yeah, uh, he um. Yeah, he looked like the guy from the '60s as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They did um, a, a good, a good uh, comparison there. So yeah, so that, so lot, lots of callbacks, but in, in a series, see, see, in a series finale, that stuff doesn't like bother me as much. It's like, okay, we're pulling all the stops, you know. So bring every, everything back. That's cool. First, first half is you know, and then it's about you know, we're kind of talked around it there, but section thirty-one. Right, I heard that. Yeah, yeah, using espers, which makes sense, weaponizing. Uh, people with high ASP, uh, putting them through the galactic barrier to use them as weapons. And that's something that Section 31 would have done. And and, um, and then, yeah, then the cliffhanger between Part 1 is, hey, they're, they're going to take over the Enterprise, and they took over his sister ship, the Congo. Because another plot, throughout, there had been a little subplot the last couple episodes that continues was these these Constitution-class ships keep getting destroyed or, or losing life support. And that's you know leads to the Enterprise being the only ship in a quadrant, I guess, for... <laughs> Motion picture is that is that maybe the reason they did that? I'm not sure, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know how many of them were left. I know we see the the, the destruction the destruction of the Potemkin and the Hood. Well, by the end, I think the Enterprise was the only one left, uh, and this was something in Fanon. Uh, I call it Fanon. You guys know what I mean. Uh, lore, Star Trek lore was the reason they changed the Star Trek and ins- the Star Trek insignia, the Starfleet insignia to the Arrowhead was the Enterprise was the only one to survive the five year mission. Uh, all the rest of them got destroyed. I didn't think they got destroyed in this rapid succession. <laughs> I thought they might have got destroyed over you know a five year span, but not in the course of like you know two weeks from uh, from these espers. But uh, anyway, um, lots to unpack with these episodes. I mean, and, and uh, but but on the whole, I love part one. Now part two, 
I'm interested, Tony, what did you think of part two? Um, I didn't see a huge um, turn in style. It just To me, it flows. If you join them together and it made it one big episode, um, then it, it just kind of works for me. But normally you do get this kind of build up that in the final episode, it's going to be fantastic. And then it kind of isn't. But in this one, it flowed. But they it did reach the point where they had to quickly wrap up and draw that link between yes we're going back to earth now (laughs) and we're all gonna go off and do our own thing and mccoy goes home and spock goes to vulcan and kirk becomes admiral kirk and he gives an address i I felt you talking about that yeah, so that's what I'm yeah. talking about. I, I liked everything kind of up to that point, and I felt like at that point we became became prequelitis. It's like that, you know. You've seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Have you seen that? Yes. With um, okay, so you know the, the first scene with Indiana Jones, and he's like on the train, right? And he learns how to use a whip, and he gets his leather jacket, and he gets his hat, and he gets the scar on his chin, right? And it's like let's let's check off all the boxes we need to get to the Indiana Jones we know. I felt like they 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 could not help themselves here, but to like let's let's do every last thing to get us to the motion picture. Like I would have been fine, and if this were the sixties, this is what they would have done. Obviously, they just would have like all right, on to our next mission, or let's we're headed home, Mister Sulu, or something like that, right? But but instead we get like. Kirk's at the office. The the Admiral explains to him, hey, are we going to keep the Counselor program? Yes. Okay. Here. Here's the new Starfleet logo. It's your ship's logo. Hey, we're going to promote you to Admiral. Hey, I'm Spock. I'm going back to Vulcan. Hey, I'm Bones. I'm retiring. You know, and it's just like we went through. I don't feel like we needed to connect the dots that much. You know, I feel like we needed to. We could, like, um, thematically connect the dots. Like, the, the end of Star Trek Six perfectly thematically connects the dots to next generation right kirk makes his log about passing the ship on to another crew the klingons are our friends now you know that kind of thing that would have been fine with me i i I felt like we didn't need yes it was cool to see the admiral uniform i'm sure vic enjoyed wearing it it's you know i know it's ken's favorite uniform and think aaron harvey it's his favorite uniform as well Uh, i like it it was cool seeing him in that i don't think we needed to see all that i don't think we needed to see every last box checked off in my opinion yeah sorry i i overstated I oh no! Go ahead. No, 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 I was done. yes. Please. <laughs> what are your thoughts, man? No, it did look a bit out of place when he walks out onto the stage and he's wearing this thing, this new <laughs> uniform that nobody has seen before. There's a whole audience there, and you you almost would have expected them, them to kind of clap or laugh or go. A, a laugh would have been nice, right? <laughs> yeah. Who's that guy? No, it's it's Captain Kirk. Shut up. Um, Admiral Kirk, thank you. Um, yeah, no, he walks out in that uniform and it, it looks weird when he, when he does it, but you know, you, you have to accept that that's the uniform he's going to be wearing from now on. They explain that these will be farmed out to the fleet in due course and everybody will be wearing them. And then you get that. Well, not me because I'm going home. Mm-hmm. And, um, but McCoy's, I, you know, they could have they could have set up McCoy leaving a little better. But I did like he's like, you know, I haven't seen my daughter. And it's yeah. like, you know what? That's that's a good point. Also, I, I'm, I'm completely fine with that. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and go buy a necklace. Yeah, um, and I've always wanted to take up disco dancing. Now, and Spock, no Spock though. Of, of all, you know, we were talking about all this. And I, of all the things that the the connect, connecting of the dots that kind of like I was like, yeah, I w- I didn't feel like we need to go that far. Spock was great. 
you know, I, I really loved how we, we saw the reason why he would go purge his emotions because McKenna died because of him, right? Because he, he made an, as he says to Kirk, he made an emotional decision. It turned out wrong. You know, you gotta learn from your mistakes, but that's always been Spock's thing. That's why he, that's why he ignores all emotions because he can't, Vulcan emotions are so powerful. He has to just shut well, he them said, off, you know? He said he'd been compromised. Captain, I've been compromised. I can mm-hmm. no longer function as a whatever. Mm-hmm. And that was a, a line again from the 2009 I am stuff. emotionally compromised yeah I'm emotionally exactly. compromised so uh, I'm just gonna have a coffee here and you can take over well yeah no I uh, if I was so the I really... script writer on these shows that's everybody would be just to have a coffee break <laughs> while they think their lives out uh yeah I uh I did I did like that though I, uh, I liked how did we need to know why he did call an R? Not necessarily, but 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 I liked that. I, I liked how we 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 got some insight into why he was where he was, and we kind of we kind of knew where why Kirk was where he was. And and McCoy, the thing with McCoy was he he was never a big fan of Starfleet anyway. You know, he was always complaining about like ah, I've signed up to practice medicine. You know, he was complaining about transporters and and space, and even in the Kelvin timeline, he's. You know, afraid of space, you know. Uh, Starfleet was all he had left at the time, so it made sense. He was always kind of hesitantly a member of a five-year mission, yeah, so it made sense for him not to sign up again. about uh, McCoy's background, how he ended up uh, on the starship in the first place? Well, it's well, all it's all fanon. There's no official canon reasons. I mean, there have been there have been novels, there have been comic books, there's been you know fan theories about it. Uh, talking about much like 09 kind of takes that fan and canonizes some of it being in a divorce you know i have nothing left nothing left but my bones right mm. um his daughter he mentions her in the animated series but that's that's pretty much it there have been lots of you know books about he doesn't, he doesn't mention his his father and the like in star trek 5 he had to uh go through the pain barrier with with mm-hmm. um cyborg so that uh and he had this issue with his father that he broke down about Right. There wasn't a direct correlation between that and joining Starfleet, but... Um, no, I'm but just yeah. saying he mentions his daughter, but he never mentioned any other of his... Uh, oh, right, his family members, right. Yeah, yeah only family. only father and daughter. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. yeah, so that's pretty much McCoy. And then, you know, and then we have a, um, you know, Kirk, Kirk does his final walkthrough of the bridge, and it kind of mirrors the... Um, it's a nice uh, companion piece to the beginning of motion picture when he finally gets back to the bridge. He closes his eyes and he's very excited to see it and it opens up and it's like this chaos and nothing. <laughs> it's you know it's a funny moment in motion picture. Um, I did think they went a little CGI crazy at the end of this episode too. By the way, it's like hey look, here's cle- we're clearly in this big CGI conference room, and then for some reason they CGI the bridge as well. I guess to give to get some scope to some more wide shots, but I just I would have preferred just some tighter shots with with no cgi but that's me i'm like practical practical effects guy over here but uh i but wonder my, if they were minor just rushing minor it to get it complete and that, you know i had that thought as well because you know they, they they got put on an unexpected time timeline due to the fan film changes um but anyway mere nitpicks i uh, so so there there we go i i, I know we kind of breeze through that really fast i like seeing <laughs> um the enterprise come into space dock and park off and they even had the little astronaut guy yes i saw the astronaut <laughs> doing the waving the arms i was like there he is he's still there he's the only guy there he was he's nobody the, else is that guy not get a day off it's i swear out but, here let uh, me in now the one thing we didn't discuss um was the saucer separation yeah that was too much in my opinion yeah i thought so too everybody has always wanted to know if the 
saucer could separate from the the main hull and have a battle bridge and a and a saucer and have them work in tandem with each other and everyone says yeah it must have happened at some point and i'm not even sure if it's referenced now yeah we've done this before but this is the first time we actually see it well here here when when i saw them do that i was like oh this is very clever they're going to they're going to jettison the jettison the engines as kirk mentions in the apple right so mm-hmm. that's how we knew that they could do it and then if you read mr scott's guide to the enterprise right they they can do it there too but i thought oh good this will explain why we have a totally new enterprise <laughs> For the motion picture, the, the saucer section will survive, but the star drive section will, you know, be lost in the battle or something. But no, mm. they reconnect. <laughs> well, we don't see it reconnecting. <laughs> I, I thought the actual separation part looked quite good. They spent quite a bit of time, and this. Separa- oh no, it, it looked good, and, and and I'm fine with it separating. I just feel like for these old ships, they shouldn't go back together. Like you know, I think I think that was a, a new invention for like the later. Inter- okay, this and this is my own personal fanon or whatever but as i understood it um the ships could separate in an emergency but not go back together in tos you know and they did it very well don't get me wrong i just i felt like that was a perfect way to explain why we had such a different enterprise because basically it's just the saucer section was all that's left and we had to rebuild the star drive section from scratch and that's why the the, the nacelles are different and the deflector dish is different and everything is so different but they I, just they I kind of threw that away <laughs> i had i always had a problem with with taking the original enterprise and turning it into the refit enterprise it Mm -hmm. it never made sense to me to do that if enterprise was damaged and it it was just a a (laughs) almost sounds like sacral sacrilege here but it's just a hunk of metal at this point in time no good to anybody and just fit for the scrap heap and what you do is you decommission that ship you build a totally new ship and you call it enterprise and it, you keep its registry number as a token if you mm-hmm. so wish but but you, you know just like they're doing in the navy right now with decommissioning cvn 65 and coming out with is it cvn 80 or 81 or there is an eight in there i know that much yes yeah sir. <laughs> but but it's you know it is the the enterprise but it has a different registry number mm-hmm. so the only thing that connects the tmp ship to the uh, original series is 1701 which they kept uh-huh. but they could have done that anyway uh, as a kind of a tribute to what Kirk achieved um, during his five-year mission but turning one ship into another just never worked in my head well, and that and that's why I'm, that's why I'm kind of like I'm ragging on it a little bit more because I thought they had found the perfect solution to that and then they undid it yeah <laughs> it's like no yeah. you, you guys found the perfect reason and then you undid it uh and then you you just eject the bridge module and you put the new bridge module on there and you build a new star drive section and you're good to go and then i i, I was wondering if we were going to see a decker anywhere but i guess you know stephen collins is a little uh persona non grata so they don't, don't want to drift no up any, he's uh... on discovery at this point in time so <laughs> oh that's true <laughs> so well no, no that's his dad is on discovery oh oh is it yeah yeah oh is it oh, well yes it? yes because yes, okay no, De- because... decker well, no, yeah, but in during discovery, That's if he's, still, he, he's, yeah, he's a decorated captain. Man, yeah. so many. Ooh, continuity. I don't normally get uh, score a point on these shows, so that was a nice point. <laughs> <laughs> score run for Tony. So yeah, so that was a very kind of um, free flowing discussion on Star Trek continues, guys, with some spoilers thrown in there. Yeah, uh, I hope you enjoyed it. But but hey, Tony, how about how about how about you know you and I get together again and talk about it in more detail? What do you think about that? Well, that's 
a fantastic idea. And in fact, I think that's what we're going to do, aren't we? In January, we're going to look in greater detail at Star Trek Continues. And then we will continue, continue, uh, episode by episode, and look at those um, in greater detail. And, um, oh, I must say that we're not, we're not going to do that as part of Standard Orbit. We're going to do that as part of Continuing Mission. And we're going to have guest stars on. We'll have uh, Larry Nemechek on. And um, we may even have some of the actors from Star Trek Continues on as guests to talk about what they did in each episode and how they formulated uh, what they want to do and, and how they got from A to B and what they thought of the overall storyline. So Absolutely. I'm, I'm looking, forward, I'm looking to forward to that, Tony. And thank you for inviting me to be on it. Because as you can tell, I'm, I'm quite passionate about this show. Yes, <laughs> so. and rightly so. <laughs> yeah, and so I know a lot of you guys have been wanting us to talk about Star Trek Continues. And like, well, you know, that's not really our real house. It's more Tony's thing over at Continuing a Mission. So I wanted to bring him in on this, talk about it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I blew through all the episodes there just to give you guys a little taste of kind of where I'm coming from with it. You know, and then when we, when we move over to Continuing a Mission, we're going to delve into these things hardcore. Yeah, but, you know, Star Trek Continues has made such an impact uh, on fandom. Um, and even though they're shutting down and, you know, Vic has walked off the bridge for the, for the last time, let's not let it go at this point. You know, let's keep, give it some life and let's keep con- um, talking about it and bringing it up in conversation and keep it alive for as long as we can. So it deserves it. Continuing to talk about Star Trek Continues. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like to bring continuity into my continuing mission shows. <laughs> yes. Very good, very good. Well, yeah, so so I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully you guys are too. Um so yeah, so that's that's a little this is a little uh, epilogue. This is our little vignette, very long vignette if you will. But yes. you know, <laughs> to, to the Star Trek continues coverage over on Continuing Mission. Yes. Next time on Continuing Mission, we will be talking about Star Trek Continues in a way you've never heard before. Absolutely, Tony. Well, it's been fun talking about continuing with you today. If people want to find you out there on the internet, where can they find you? As ever, the Babel Conference, which people should know by now, is the Trek FM listener group on uh, Facebook, and you'll find me on there. And on Twitter, my handle is Shamrock165. Alrighty, Tony. Well, thanks a lot. And yeah, stay tuned, guys. Like he said, in January, we'll be talking about continues episode by episode in-depth coverage with interviews and analysis from Tony and myself. But Star Trek Continues isn't the only thing we're talking about this week on Trek FM. Here's a quick look at what else you might have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Earl Grey. Oh, and rocks. Do you see rocks came out of the yes, tunnel? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that, that, that in the and next the first generation. Thing he, and the first thing he grabs is the exit. <laughs> no, forget but that the, it blew up. But, the, <laughs> but, those, but, but those rocks, every time you see something like that, you can't forget that somehow there are rocks in the tunnel. Just like in yesterday's Enterprise, when the Enterprise C gets hit and there are rocks that fall from the ceiling on the bridge. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's right. There's rocks right. everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the tunnel's as, made of rocks. They use it as insulation. Stage 9, a podcast about the people who make Star Trek. I'm going to say, because I can't think of anything, honestly, off the top of my head, excluding the movies, I think that this may be, like, the single best directed episode of Star Trek in history. Continuing Mission.
Yeah. So let's just talk about the awards per se, because tell us how you heard about the fact that you won an award and then um, you, you went, oh, that's great. And then you realized what competition you were up against, not knowing that you'd been in the competition in the first place. But when you realized who had been the other nominees, that's uh, pretty awesome. Yeah, it is. So I got, I got a Facebook message um, from one of the organizers of, of the awards after it, it happened, and they said, oh, I'm not sure if you're aware, but you won two awards. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know that there was an awards thing, and I didn't even know we were nominated, and it turned out we were nominated for seven um, categories. The 602 Club. I, I will say that um, the audience I saw this with was extremely receptive uh, to the film, uh, especially by the end, uh, in, in the ending battle. And the the reason I go there immediately is we're sitting here, we're talking about you know sort of the structural issues and, and taking these things apart. Yeah. But I will say that uh, the audience I was with seemed to go along with it anyway. So yeah. that by the end, there were people cheering. And happy yeah. with yeah. everything, uh, so you know I was I was surrounded by people, and I remember looking around and saying, "Wow, positive crowd!" And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcast. If you're an Apple user, get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you'd like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trekfm contact and look in the sidebar on the show page, or you can go to speakpipe.com trekfm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at trekfm, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm, and of course in the Babel Conference. Type Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, or go to our website at trekfm and click discussion on the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron on the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, You'll find the current goals and different milestone contributions along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details on patreon.com slash trekfm. Speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our great associate producers for Standard Orbit. Norman Lau, Tim Robertson, Nick Anastasio, Richard Marquez, and Corey Elrod. Yes, thank you guys so much for your support for both Standard Orbit and Trek FM. Uh, so, Ken, if people want to find you out there on the internet, where can they find you? Hey, you can find me hanging around the Babel Conference and engaging people when I, when I have the opportunity. You can also find me on Twitter. My uh, Twitter handle is at BostonSCPO. And we, uh, we like to tweet out all our new episode information as soon as we get it, as, lo- as well as our colleagues. So look for me there. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. 
and I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Hold On to Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that Young Superman series from the early 2000s. And you can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. So thanks everyone for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit. Thank you.